This podcast brought to you by Hope 103.2. The Big Picture, a Christian insight into the world of movies, television and pop culture with magazine editor Ben McKechn and scriptwriter Mark Hadley. A Bible Society Australia production, sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world. Greetings, I'm Ben McKechn. And I'm his Antipodean friend, Mark Hadley. Welcome to episode 135 of The Big Picture for the week beginning November 27. And coming up on today's show... Do you want to get ready for all the best kids' films of 2018? Well, we'll tell you who, what, where and when. And then we'll reveal the man who invented Christmas. The, what? The man who invented... We're going to reveal that on the <laughs> yes, show. Yes, he'll be there. Actually, oh. it's a film. You'll love it. Right. And then we're also going to talk about uh, this time, a time to learn the power of kind in a marvellous new movie, Wonder, that you've seen, Mark, and you really want to talk about. I am bemused, bewildered, but absolutely in wonderment. Whoa. All right. That's quite a big rap. So Wonder is coming up on the show. So is this man who invented Christmas. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I thought we already knew, but I guess we might discover that somebody else had a house. Like, I'll, I'll wait for your review <laughs> you a bit later wait. in the show. Before we get to there, though, uh, some new movies uh, around the place at cinemas and at home, etc., etc. At cinemas, coming this Thursday, is The Star, which is an animated nativity imagining from the perspective of animals, if you can believe it. So we're going to get a nativity story but as seen through the eyes of talking animals. And this has got quite an all-star cast, Mark. Everyone from Stephen Yuen, who's best known for The Walking Dead as his lead character, Bo, but also Kelly Clarkson and Mariah Carey and Oprah Winfrey as a camel. <laughs> Oprah Winfrey as a camel. I'm, I'm speechless. You can't say anything at that point. You know that. Uh, no, no, you, no, you can't. There's no, no, way of, no way of trumping that. Apart from later on the show, we're going to be playing something from the soundtrack of the star, and then we're doing an interview with someone intimately involved with the star, and they can give us a little bit more information about what the star actually is and how its perspective is going to help us better understand the birth of Jesus. Also, around the place, Mark, on Blu-ray, DVD, streaming, all that kind of thing, online, wherever you get your movies nowadays, legally, you can find <laughs> movies such as Gifted, The Hitman's Bodyguard and The Dark Tower. Now, The Hitman's Bodyguard and The Dark Tower have the bigger stars, the bigger budget, the bigger publicity. Both films weren't much chop. My Money is on Gifted, this great film starring Captain America himself, Chris Evans, as a guy who's trying to work out what is best for his super intelligent niece. Really good film, Gifted. It's on Blu-ray, DVD. Hitman's Bodyguard, Dark Tower. Meh. I wouldn't really worry. I wouldn't worry about The Dark Tower unless you really didn't like the person. <laughs> Just buy it here. Oh, this is my Christmas stocking. The surprise Santa thing, give them that. Okay. Well, what about the small screen? Let me tell you about the small screen this week. This week on the ABC, Sunday, December the 3rd, Craig Rucastle brings us War on Waste. What's changing? Might sound a bit familiar. It does. That's because presenter Rucastle actually put rubbish on our radar with a thought-provoking series on the War on Waste a little earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. And now... Now he's back with a special follow-up episode, Have Australians Changed the Way They Handle Waste? Find out then. You get your report card on whether or not you're putting your bins out right. Okay, so there you go. Plus, uh, this, on SBS, the season two of Struggle Street starts tomorrow. Oh, yeah? Yeah, this is pretty good. Actually, This is it's kind of an uncompromising observational documentary that highlights the economic inequalities in Australia. Sounds like something you might want to write a university paper on. No, it's actually far more interesting than that. It's the lives of real people at various levels of our economic spectrum and how they're doing it tough in Australia. Uh, And so it's well worth, if you feel like you really want to meet Australia, this is a great way of meeting how other people are doing. If you're sitting back in a nice, comfortable place, wondering what what you'll be eating for Christmas, well, these people will have 
different problems. Let's put it that way. And well worth your attention. So well worth having a look at that because even after 25 years of unprecedented economic growth in our country, we still find out that we actually have plenty of room for inequality. Now, soon to come on the show, I am going to reveal uh, the top five films of 2018 that I think are best suited to all ages audience members before... I unveil that, Mark. You are going to unveil to us some Christmas myths. Yes, basically, I thought we've got our true or false segment that we usually throw in at the beginning of the show. Keep us all thinking, sharpen the minds as we get into popular culture. Here's a bit of popular culture you should be aware of. There are some myths floating around at Christmas about how something came about or why we do what. And here's one of them. Why is Boxing Day called Boxing Day. Oh, I'm looking forward to what the options are on yeah, this. Yeah, well, my brother always told me it was because of the national holiday for big brothers to weigh in on little brothers. But why is December 26 called Boxing Day? Really, is it A, a traditional day off for British servants who went on picnics and had boxed lunches? Hmm. Uh, is it B, the day churches used to show poor people the bottom of wooden boxes? W- there's a national holiday for you. Or is it C, it's actually much newer than you think, the day you box up gifts you don't want and take them back? Wow. I okay. really don't so think I know. Boxing Day, a holiday for British servants, Boxing Day, a time to see the bottom of wooden boxes, or Boxing Day, time to take things back in boxes. I am keenly looking forward to finally understanding where on earth Boxing Day came from. And in the meantime, how often have you and your loved ones had a conversation that starts like this? What movies are coming up that we all want to go see? Anyone? Let's start the bidding. Do you actually know? And we want to go together. Uh, let's what all if you want to go, go together? together. Yeah, uh, that is a, a task itself, trying to find something to please everybody. Well, get your diaries ready. Ben has scanned ahead through mm-hmm. next year's major movie releases to bring us five which are set to appeal to all ages. What if we are here for a reason? What if we are a part of something truly divine? Imagine 91 billion light years traveled like that. Sweet dreams are made of this. Your father has accomplished something extraordinary. Also dangerous. He's trapped by a darkness that's actively spreading throughout the universe. All right, Mark, before we get back to that movie, which is called A Wrinkle in Time that comes out on March 29. Here are four other options of all-ages films before we get back to A Wrinkle in Time. First, on March 22, have you written that down? March 22, an animated version of Peter Rabbit is coming based on the beloved best-selling books by Beatrix Potter. Peter Rabbit, who's got the voice of a very famous James Corden, I think best known around the world for carpool (laughs) karaoke, really funny guy. He... Peter Rabbit and his furry friends invade the real-world garden of a dastardly animal hater. Uh, yes, so I feel like this is actually going to be a fairly normal plot for Peter Rabbit, having read many Peter Rabbit books to my little boys. But it looks like it's injected something of a ongoing yet fairly modern concern. There's a very strong human thread running through Peter Rabbit, at least according to the trailer, about ancestral land rights, as in wow. this land belonged to our forefathers. 
Our furry four, four bunnies. Fur, four bunnies. Therefore, it must be ours. It looks to me like it's pushing that barrow very, very strongly. Land rights coming through Peter Rabbit. Also, okay. I'd imagine very cute and fuzzy and funny. Okay, and I'm sure there are a few toys in the shops after that. What's next? March 22, Peter Rabbit. Then after that, a week later, March 29. Mark, get your diary out for this. Gnomeo and Juliet. Oh, they didn't. Sherlock Gnomes. Oh, they didn't. That's right. You might have forgotten that there was a film, an animated film called Gnomeo and Juliet a forgotten. few years ago. I paid for therapy. Therapy. Oh, was, it wasn't that bad. It was awful. It, it wasn't great. Okay. It did, does have the voices of Emily Blunt and James McAvoy. And this time round, as Gnomeo and Juliet, no, Sherlock Gnomes might indicate, there is a Sherlock Gnomes, Sherlock Holmes figure. He's now like small and ornamental with the voice of Johnny Depp. Yes. Yeah, so this is basically concrete garden ornaments. Yes. Living their lives. Yeah. Sorry. I should have made that clear. I thought maybe Gnomeo and Juliet, Sherlock Gnomes might have suggested. No, okay. If you so, hadn't seen it. So this is a about garden gnomes coming to life, and this time with the voice of Johnny Depp as Sherlock Sorry. Holmes. March twenty nine. Sherlock gnomes. Sherlock gnomes. Sorry, the, I, 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 shouldn't, pun, I shouldn't forget the pun. That pun might be the funniest thing in the it, entire it may, film. It may possibly be. Uh, also on the same day, and I imagine we and my family will be at this film rather than Sherlock gnomes. Early Man. Ah. This is from the another animated film from the studio that brought us Wallace and Gromit and Chicken Run. Ardman from the UK. It's about a prehistoric family who are trying to cope with changing times. So if you reckon it's hard living in modern times, you just spare a thought for this guy, Doug, who's living in the Stone Age. He's just a (laughs) run-of-the-mill bloke, and he's trying to save his simple life from the onset of the Bronze Age. Oh, that Bronze Age. That Bronze Age is coming to get us. It's ruining everything. Uh, Look, this has got uh, the voices of people like uh, Tom Hiddleston from uh, Thor. He's the guy who plays Loki in the Thor movies, and Eddie Redmayne, who won an Oscar a couple of years ago for playing Stephen Hawking. They're all in Early Man on March 29th next year. I'm almost at A Wrinkle in Time, which is also out on March 29. But I suspect you're about to announce the one that I'm really looking forward to. I, I really hope so, Mark. So, Mark your diaries for March 29. There are some big all-ages movies that day. A few weeks later, April 19, Isle of Dogs. This is the animated follow-up from fantastic director Wes Anderson, who made Fantastic Mr. Fox. Now, Fantastic Mr. Fox is an absolute institution in my house. Oh. When that film came out, it became an annual watch. I don't know if you've got annual watch films, like films you just seem to watch every year. Fantastic Mr. Fox is brilliant. And now Wes Anderson doing another animation. Really looking forward to this. And this sounds fantastically interesting. It's set on a trash island for banished dogs outside a dystopian Japanese city. And it's telling a sweet story about exile, these exiled dogs helping a boy find his lost pet. And of course, if you've seen any Wes Anderson movie, or if you can just remember Fantastic Mr. Fox and the vocal cast of that, which has George Clooney and Meryl Streep, this one has got everyone from Brian Cranston to Edward Norton and Bill Murray and all kinds of people alongside Isle of Dogs. Getting to, finally, this is number five, All Ages Films for 2018. You should mark in your calendar, A Wrinkle in Time, which, Mark, I've left till last because I think it's got a little bit more to say at this stage, given we haven't seen any of these films. But the background for this, I think, is very interesting. So this is from a book that was released in the 1960s, a very famous sci-fi adventure. It's got something to do with a teenage girl who is, you know, of course, charged with trying to save the entire universe from evil. Now, I don't know how exactly that's going to play out. Up on screen, it's got everyone from Oprah Winfrey to Reese Witherspoon and Chris Pine from the Star Trek movies. But what caught my attention, Mark, is that a Christian author wrote this book and Wrinkle in Time deliberately references the Gospel of John, especially its prominent themes of dark versus light. 
So I'm left wondering, is Hollywood's big-budget version actually going to retain those nods to the light of the world, Jesus? That's That'd what, be fantastic. That's what the Gospel of John is referencing, and I dare say the wrinkle in time must at some point attempt to point to that. I haven't actually read the book. The early trailers, I think, are positive. And so the, the, the clip that we played earlier with Chris Pine talking, who plays the father character in this film, says things like, what if we're here for a reason, and what if we're here for something truly divine? So I am expecting a wrinkle in time on March 29 next year might possibly hold onto its roots, which go all the way back to the Gospel of John, pointing to the true light of the world, Jesus. Okay, well, a little before this, uh, we actually posed a true or false for you, and we're asking yourself the question, how did Boxing Day get its name? Was Boxing Day a holiday for British servants who were given an opportunity to have boxed lunches? Or was it B, the day churches used to show poor people the bottom of their wooden boxes? Or C, a much more modern thing, the day you box up the gifts you don't want and send them back? Ben. As weird as it sounds, is it the church one of the b- bottom of the boxes? Correct. What it is? What on earth does that see, even mean? I, we see. It was the, Boxing Day is the day that after Christmas, churches would open their alms boxes, which was uh, money collected for the poor, and empty them out to all oh, the people who needed them so people could fantastic. see the bottom of the boxes. Okay, there you go. Boxing Day is literally a day that was supposed to show mercy to those who need help and support. So remember that on December 26th. Look out for other people beyond your own family. And look out for this still to come on the show, a toe-tapping preview of the new Christmas flick that's coming, The Star Plus... You'll also discover the man who invented Christmas. Welcome back to the show. Still to come on The Big Picture, a little bit later on, we're going to be joined by someone who is intimately involved with this new film, The Star, that's opening at cinemas on Thursday, an animated adventure that gives a whole new perspective on the birth of Jesus from the perspective of animals. We'll be finding out a little bit more about that later on. To get us in the mood for that, Mark, we thought we'd pick something from the soundtrack of The Star. This is from Fifth Harmony, Can You See? We've all been searching for something Something that's bigger than us to believe in Who knew a star was so close it could touch us Light up our hearts, lead the way through the dark Put it on my left to feel this feeling that I feel right now Open up your eyes and see the
think people are going to remember this night. What happened here around this manger will be celebrated for thousands of years. see Mark Hadley in the studio at the moment and the way he bops and jives and dances along to the sounds of Fifth Harmony. Uh, that's Can You See from the Star soundtrack. Fifth Harmony, if you didn't know, is composed of five singers who all successfully auditioned as soloists on the X Factor in America many seasons ago, but they didn't get through as far as was expected. They were put together as a girl band and hey presto, a couple of years later, fast forward, they're famous and they're now on the soundtrack of this new film. The Star, which also includes other people like Casting Crowns and Mariah Carey, who's got a voice in the film. She plays Mark Rebecca the Hen. That's right, oh, Rebecca right. the Hen. Okay. The, the role that Mariah Carey was born to play. <laughs> but interestingly enough, the winner of the first season of American Idol, none other than Kelly Clarkson, also does a voice in The Star. So that's that's yeah. great. She's playing the voice of a horse. What's she playing? A horse. A horse. But she's not on the soundtrack. Oh, She's amazing. not on the set. Did someone just like not notice when Ho- she was? Horses are not known for their singing voices. But, but Kelly Clarkson is. <laughs> like it's like just it's like she left the studios at the end and someone went. Oh, hang on a minute. That was someone, Kelly Clarkson. Did someone remember? To, oh. Oh, wasn't she super famous a couple of years ago? I can't oh, okay. believe she's not on the soundtrack. But Fifth Harmony, Mariah Carey, Casting Crowns, many more on the star, and we will be speaking later in the show with someone intimately involved in that new animated adventure. We've begun the run down to Christmas, and apart from masses of Christmas decorations, without Jesus in most of them, and 500% off sales, one thing you can expect is a selection of new Christmas stories to begin arriving at your local cinema. The first on the scene for 2017 is The Man Who Invented Christmas. That's right, The Man Who Invented Christmas. It's a title that makes a huge claim about Charles Dickens and how he apparently created the Christmas we know today with his writing of the famous book, A Christmas Carol. And what we discover in the process is an author learning life lessons right alongside the squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner called Scrooge. So he's had a couple of flops. Well, who hasn't? You have a new book in mind? Of course he does. My lamp's gone out. I've run out of ideas. Are we in trouble? No, of course not. I have told you not to disturb me when I am working. On Christmas Eve, the spirits pour into the night. Who here, Mr. Dickens? Pickpockets, streetwalkers, humbug. Those people don't belong in books. Charles! Come back! Come back! Come back! It's about a miser. 
Okay, Mark, I think there's now a pretty big elephant in the room, and it's called, was Charles Dickens the man who invented Christmas? As in, was he really, like, come on, is he really the guy who invented Christmas? Well, let's be clear, no. Okay. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> I mean, it depends on what perspective you take, but okay. Look, what they're building but on. But what the fact, perspective do they take in the film? Well, what they're suggesting is that during the Victorian era, that Charles Dickens was writing, that Christmas had kind of fallen off the boil, that not many people were interested in Christmas. Ah. That is a very long bow to take. Is that true? No. Of like <laughs> England in Victorian times, well, like no nah, Christmas, yeah, that's coming again. Ah, well, whatever. What they what had been lost was a lot of traditional elements to Christmas. Okay, so what you see in the Victorian era is carol singing coming back and big family meals together coming back and present giving coming back and it is still a bit of a stretch to say that um, that Charles Dickens was responsible for bringing a lot of that back but what he did do is he wrote a story that has been told again and again and has never been out of print ever since and I'm of course referring to A Christmas Carol that classic story about Scrooge though this film is very much about how he wrote it and also how he kind of lived the story himself going around as an author, picking things up about miserly people and the need for mercy and grace at that time of year as people are struggling in the poverty. This is sounding like almost a bit of a rival movie to Goodbye Christopher Robin, which is also a star, a, a movie about an author and what he created, something very famous that went on to change the landscape of the universe, etc., etc. Um, to me, it's still not at the moment sounding as interesting as Goodbye Christopher Robin. Before we get on some other questions about uh, the man who invented Christmas, who is this man? Who's being who's playing this man up on screen? Who's playing Charles Dickens? He's being played by Dan Stevens. You might know him more importantly from Downton Abbey. Oh, yeah. Okay, and, and given this is an English period piece, who else is in the cast? Is Dame Judy Dench there? Uh, no, she's not. But Christopher Plummer is. Of okay. And you've got so he actually plays Scrooge. Oh, yeah. And you've got Simon Callow and Miriam Margulies. There's a bunch of people in there. It's really good. Uh, personally, though, I think one of the great things about it is really the sort of lessons they learn in the process. Because you see, the normal Christmas Carol story is about a Scrooge learning that you can't live unto yourself and just be about this world because there are consequences to come. And that's actually what uh, Dickens learns in the writing of the film. Now, there's a little bit of poetic license as to how much is going on, but there's a very true story that Dickens was struggling for money, his family was expanding, his wife was busy uh, getting ready to give birth to their fifth child, and things were not going well in the Dickens household. Uh, and so he's combating both his worries and his anxiety about money at the same time. And that actually makes for a very good story about what we fear and worry about at Christmas time. Yeah, there would have been a lot of pressure trying to invent Christmas. <laughs> Look, isn't the man who invented Christmas just another way of telling that story, a Christmas carol? Like that That's what it is, isn't it? So if that's the case, why is A Christmas Carol so enduring? You mentioned that the story itself hasn't been out of print. Now we're getting this new movie about Charles Dickens and how closely wrapped up he is in A Christmas Carol. Why is it so enduring? It's enduring basically because there's a lesson right at the heart of it that that we have to take to heart and we keep on coming back to. I am my brother's keeper. I mean, that is what the Bible teaches. That's what God has told us, that I actually am responsible for other people. Oh, you mean the God who invented Christmas? The God yeah, who God. Yes. yes. Jesus, who probably was the man who invented Christmas, I feel that's safe to say. Um, 
Jesus basically taught that, in fact, the second greatest commandment was that I should love people as I love myself. And that's at the heart of Christmas. Now, Dickens in the film brings that back. If there's a little bit of sadness in this, it's the film actually skips over um, Jesus' role in Christmas, God's role in Christmas, very much so. Even no mention though, of either? No, even though it very much promotes the idea of the value of Christmas, which is that we are, you know, we are here to bless other people. God blessed us, and so we give back to other people. Uh, but I love the way that the Christmas Carol always finishes because it always focuses very much on where we need to be. And that is, you know, Tiny Tim saying, God bless us one and all, because that's actually what we need. The Man Who Invented Christmas is rated PG for mild themes. It stars Downton Abbey's Dan Stevens, Christopher Plummer, Simon Callow and Miriam Margulies and will be available for your viewing pleasure from this Thursday, November 30. And coming up, a wonderfully different view of disability in the film Wonder. And we get animal observations of Jesus' birth with the star interview. All that coming up. Welcome back. There have been about, by my calculations, Mark, 3.6 million movies about Christmas and Christmas stuff. From It's a Wonderful Life to A Muppet Christmas Carol, Christmas has been unwrapped unwrapped on screen aplenty. But prepare for a much different present this year. Because this Thursday, The Star opens at cinemas. It's an all-star animated movie. And The Star tells us about what the birth of Jesus was like as experienced by the animals around his manger. Wow, this is actually new for us. This this, this is new for everybody. Um, on the line, we've got Rod Hopping from Heritage Films, which is involved in the distribution of the star. G'day, Rod. Hey, Ben. Hey, Mark. How you guys doing? Thanks. Mate, w- mate, we are well, but we've got to cut to the chase here. The star is reporting on what animals saw when Jesus was born. Is that right? It is. Look, this might be film number 3,601, but it's one of the better, better ones. It is one of the better ones. But, like, oh, yeah. just just talk us through this idea. What What is this like as a movie? Animals reflecting on when Jesus was born. Which animals? Yeah, look, and, I mean, to start with, it's from Sony Animation, so the, the same people that bought us Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. So oh, yeah. Beautiful looking on screen. Yeah. Really well done. But, yeah, I, look, a, a film that I just thoroughly enjoyed from start to end, and... Well, you've got it. It's, um, I mean, really, through the eyes of particularly Bo, this donkey, you know. Oh, and, Bo was um, the donkey? Okay, yep. Is, was yeah. that the one that was carrying Mary? Is that the idea? Well, look, now, that's a spoiler. But oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, of course, um, you know, there is a donkey in that story. But, you know, it's about a dream that he's got to kind of be involved in royalty. But, you know, there's, there's seemingly no chance his dream is going to... He's basically on, on the mill, you know, going around and around every day. So The donkey treadmill, yep. Yeah, that don't don't we know it, Rod? <laughs> don't we know it? Hey, there's a huge vocal cast in the star. Are you surprised that a Christian theme movie attracted such talent? Look, I am actually. It's amazing when you sort of see it, and the list is too long to almost read out. But you know, people like Kelly Clarkson, Christopher Plummer, Tyler Perry, Oprah Winfrey. Oprah Winfrey. Who, who's Oprah Winfrey playing? I knew you'd ask me a question like that. Um, Oprah, I, she's one of the camels, I believe. <laughs> yes. Like, Oprah as a camel. Actually, we set you up. We knew about the camel. We just wanted somebody yeah. else to say it. Okay, I wanted to say but come on. Like, <laughs> I, I, I already knew and I still sound surprised. She's playing a camel. <laughs> yes, and more spoiler, there's three camels in the story as well, and they oh. cat to us as well. Ah. Yeah, okay, so Oprah has to share the limelight. Now, mate, the, the, this, this the star film has attracted big names behind uh, the behind the behind the scenes and but like involved in the movie. But what about attracting people to cinemas to watch this animated film? Is the star just really for fans of Jesus already? People who are followers of Jesus is that it? 
No, guys, far from it. In fact, I left the cinema thinking this is a really, really broad uh, audience film. So, I mean, we all get in the spirit at Christmas time, whether you're a Christian or not. You know, you're, you're in the, and you want to connect to the story somehow. I mean, we, we have music when we go to carols. This is one of the best things a family could do this, this Christmas. I, I just, you know, I, I'm, I've got grown up kids and I can't wait to take my kids to see it. And the wow. little ones are going to, are going to love it. It is, um, highly entertaining, a laugh out, out loud and also deeply moving. I, I, I seriously connected to Bo and that treadmill dream story and I found myself engaged at a deep level. I mean, how, how do you get all of that in an animation? That, 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 you can only do it with a good one, and this is a really good one. Mm. When you say you're engaged, what do you think people are going to take away from seeing the, the birth of Jesus? I mean, you don't have to spoil the film, but what do you think the, the theme is going to really unite people around? Oh, the beautiful humanity of Christ's birth. I mean, the, the Mary and Joseph characters, um, are, are, in an animation, it's, there's so much humanity a really fresh insight as to what they navigated, what Mary navigated to find out all of a sudden as a, a young girl, uh, um, you know, you're going to be carrying this baby and, and Joseph getting his head around it. And all of that's in contrast to this, this donkey and these animals around them that are on their own journey of destiny and purpose. Unbeknownst, they don't really know what it's all about. Um, and, you know, just it's a beautiful, heartwarming story. But, and I think everyone's going to be able to connect with this story, um, both through the theme of Christmas, but also at a, at a personal level, in a weird way, with one of the characters or animals on screen. Rod Hopping from Heritage Films, which is bringing this story, The Star, to Australia. It's opening at cinemas uh, all around the place this Thursday. Rod, thanks for joining us and sharing a bit more about The Star and letting people know what this new perspective on Jesus' birth is all about. Hey, my pleasure, Mark and Ben. Thanks so much, guys. No worries. Now, Mark, Hollywood's no stranger to Triumph of the Human Spirit films. Those stories that show us the most powerful thing a human has at their disposal isn't their strength or their brain, but the heart that guides them both. Now, this month sees the release of a new film that shows even the weakest members of a community can have a powerful influence on the people around them. Wonder is a story of Augie. He's a young boy born with a badly disfigured face. But when Augie starts school for the first time, we discover a story that reveals not only how a person with a disability might see the world, but the hearts of everyone around him as well. My name is Augie Pullman. Next week, I start fifth grade. And since I've never been to real school before, I'm pretty much totally petrified. I'll see you later. Augie, you don't want to walk up with your parents because it's not cool. But you're cool. I know I am, but technically most dads aren't. Neither are these helmets. Dear God, please make them be nice to him. I know I'm not an ordinary 10-year-old kid. I've had 27 surgeries. They told me to breathe, to see, to hear without a hearing aid, but none of them have made me look ordinary. Wonder is based on the 2012 novel by the same name. And I think many parents might have actually seen this creep into the house because it's actually in a lot of school syllabus. Um, August Pullman, better known as Augie to his family, suffers from a rare genetic condition called Treacher-Collins syndrome, and that's required extensive plastic surgeries. He's grown up, and it leaves him with a sort of the face that gets him called horrible names like Gollum from oh, the like other Gollum, kids Lord and of the stuff Rings. like that. Yeah, ah. yeah. So it's it's not a 
Anyway, Augie, played by Jacob Tremblay, has been homeschooled by his mum and dad for the first 10 years of his life. Uh, Julia Roberts and Owen Wilson are his parents, so you can't go wrong there. But still, he's got a real struggle. And he has, uh, as at 10, he's now going to try and go to a school, a Beecher Prep school, to experience what it's like to be in and around other kids. Well, the experience is not a great one for the first few months. He's, you know, at, at the very least, he's stared at and made to feel really awkward. But at the other end, and he's often bullied until finally he makes a few friends. And, and through him, those friends discover what comes out of a person is actually far more important than the outside of a person. Great cast in this film, Mark. Julia Roberts, Owen Wilson. People might know, not know young actor Jacob Tremblay's name, but if they saw the film Room that won a couple of Oscars a few years ago, he was the young lad in that film. He was fantastic. So that gets some thumbs up from me, makes me a, bit, a little bit interested. When I watched the trailer, and we played a little bit of a clip of it earlier, I became instantly bored by how sort of familiar and predictable and kind of twee wonder seemed as just another triumph of the will story that we've come to expect. Is exactly. that what wonder... It, exactly. But I is it thought, that film? No, it's not. And that's the thing. Now, oh, I, I was looking at it too. Now, um, But you were heading in the same yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. My perspective, uh, two perspectives on this. Firstly, as a film review, you see a lot of films, film and TV, you're watching this sort of arc all the time. You know, um, poor, put-upon person struggling against the odds um, o- overwhelms those odds with a, a pure and sincere heart and moves on. I'm not saying that's actually not in the film. Those aspects are in the film. But uh, I was... And I really anticipate that because my second perspective is as a parent of of a disabled child. You know, we our, our young boy, uh, we love to see films like that and, and encourage him to see how he can actually sort of rise above, you know, the various burdens that he has. This structure, though, is like no other uh, film about disability that I have ever seen. The structure of Wonder The structure itself. of the film is completely different. Because I think when most people go to watch a movie, they don't necessarily um, like point out the structure or notice the structure. But, but what, do you, what do you mean You'll by the structure? You'll notice this. Because what happens, basically, is every 20 minutes, the perspective of the film changes. So it ah. starts as the story through Augie's eyes. But then we switch to the story through his mum's eyes. And then we switch to the story through his sister's eyes. Then through his best friend's eyes then through his dad and then back to Augie and various people and even you know at one point the villain you know of, of the piece and and how it's looking through him yeah. and we start to realize mm. that disability hits people differently um, and for a start um, that obviously there's the struggle that Augie has to bear uh, and how he behaves but there's no rose tinted glass view of of Augie so he's got some edges and things he could be doing better as a kid too uh, and I found that incredibly valuable because often there's this sort of like lionising of the main character that's fairly unthinking. Uh, but then um, also you see how parents suffer. And I was just looking at it and going, yes, that's right. You know, disability affects everyone in the house. We've got two other children who are not struggling with disability, but they struggle because there's disability in the household. Beautiful way to tell a story. I think it's fantastic. Overall, then, is wonder from these variety of perspectives all coming together. Is it trying to teach us, the viewer, like a better a better response to disabled people in particular? It is indeed. It's, it's basically, it, it is very much a teaching film. I think one of the key things in it is that there are some precepts uh, that one of Augie's teachers, his homeroom teacher, says. A precept is like a, a, a maxim that you live your life like by. Like a truth. Like a truth. Right. And one of the ones that he writes up on the board for the kids 
kids to consider is your deeds are your monuments. Oh, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, it is. The idea that your deeds are your monuments is not only good, it's, it's startlingly familiar, okay, because it's very much like what Jesus said when he said, by your fruits, they shall know them. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, and I want my kids to know that in the end you can say whatever you like, but people will understand who you are by what comes out of you and the actions that you have. Now, Jesus actually says there's a negative side of that. You've got to be careful because it's actually, you know, your deeds will actually show people exactly who you are. Um, and that could be a bad thing. But in this film, what people do makes all the difference. And that's fantastic. Mark, can you see God actually emerging anywhere in a story like this? If I go into wonder and look around for God, because it sounds like it's dealing with deep issues of humanity and existence and truth. Is Does God have a showing? There is um, a very classic use of God in this film, um, and I and it's it made me a little sad to be honest. Um, Julia Roberts' character, the mum, uh, prays as the ki- as Augie goes to school, and she says, "Dear God, please don't let them hurt him." Um, and and I can understand that because as a parent, I've prayed that almost every day I brought mm-hmm. my child to school. It's a fair enough prayer. Yeah, and, and and gee, you don't have to have a child with a disability to be praying that prayer. What's interesting about this film is that when that prayer is answered. Awesome. Uh, in the way answered. the film is answered, yep. no one ever comes back to God. Right. You know, and that's a real pity because, like, we're really ready as, you know, uh, as moviegoers to reach out and say, God, please do something. And then when God does something, we often go, wow, you're wonderful the way you responded to that. Not God, but the person or us or, or something like that. So I was a little saddened by that. Uh, but one of the interesting things that's all over this film is God's fingerprints valuing the interior of a person over the exterior. Every single member of society is valuable, but more importantly, God looks on the heart. And there's a great emphasis in this film on the value of the heart. So not only a startlingly wonderful way of seeing disability, but also a great lesson that is well in line with what Christians believe. Wonder is a bit of a wonder, according to Mark. It's rated PG for mild themes and coarse language. It does star Julia Roberts and Owen Wilson, and it's opening at cinemas from November 30. Now, still to come on the big picture, what the Bible has to say about teaching your kids and my top five true stories that aren't as true as we think or lies, lies, lies. Stay tuned. Hey, welcome back. Well, before the break, we talked about the new film, Wonder, and the lessons it had to teach kids in particular about the principles they should build their lives on. And if you're just tuning in, check it out at thebigpicturewebsite.com. That's thebigpicturewebsite.com. Where you'll not only find Wonder, you will find the whole back catalogue of The Big Picture. Enjoy. It's truly wondrous. Now, some of Wonder's precepts were great. Others were a bit loopy, which got us thinking, how do you tell the difference between good and loopy. What sort of lessons do you try and teach your kids? Do you have all the really hard stuff and tell it to them straight away? You traumatise them in one go? Do you save it all till they're 25? These are big questions. These are things we've got to know. So it wasn't a bad time to ask social commentator and Bible Society CEO Greg Clark what the Bible has to say about teaching kids. When justice is done, says Proverbs 21 verse 15, it brings joy to the righteous but terror to evildoers. I well remember the day after September 11, 2001, arguably the defining event of the 21st century thus far. Well, the next night, either by divine appointment or just bad luck, I happened to be reading the Bible story of Samson the strong man to my then young children. I was horrified. A man pulls down two pillars to destroy a room full of people in a devastating act of judgment. Well, in the moment, I tried desperately to flick to a nice Jesus makes more bread story instead, 
but I was too slow. My intrigued six-year-old had seen the muscle man who had his eyes blinded on the page, and it just had to be that story. By the time the Philistines have chained Samson to the pillars, my boys were sure that something big was going down here. And as those pillars broke and everyone was crushed underneath, I was recoiling in horror at what I was reading. The images of the Twin Towers were racing through my head, as if Samson were chained between them. It seemed unthinkable that all those people would be destroyed, all those lives lost, and Samson lost along with them. The parallels with New York weren't neat, but they were disturbing. But I needn't have been worried. The kids got the story much more clearly than I did. They deserved it, said my firstborn son, who was actually a very much a peace-loving child, believe me. Yeah, his younger brother agreed. And you know, they were right. In this story in the Bible, the God-hating, Israel-oppressing Philistines deserved the judgment that came upon them. They were actually getting their dues. Samson's is a story of justice being done, of God venting his wrath and displaying his righteous jealousy for his people. In one sense, the Bible really isn't a book for children. These stories are profound, containing extraordinary lessons that adults struggle to accept, deep and difficult truths about love and justice, about sin and punishment, about where the world is headed. But in another sense, it's only kids who really get what's going on. They are far clearer about good and evil, about punishment and reward, than adults tend to be. They know that evil should be punished and good rewarded. They get it. In your journey to prepare your kids for adulthood, don't shirk from the hard stuff. Kids are up to it, often more so than you. And even through horrific stories such as Samson's, the Bible is a great book to read in order to teach them the good, the bad and the ugly about themselves and their world. Here we are at the ultimate point of the show, the top five. And this week, a particularly interesting top five from Ben. Ben is basically going to tell us lies, lies, lies. In fact, he's going to point at particular films and go, liar, liar, pants on fire. You said you were true, but you're not. Am I getting this right? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you pointed out that I'm not actually going to be telling lies. I'm going to be telling the <laughs> truth. This is the top five about uh, movies that are based on a true story that actually aren't as true as they claim to be, or in short, lies, lies, lies. So at number five... Five... The 996 film Fargo, uh, this very famously opens with words on the screen based on a true story, which plenty of films do, but it wasn't. This one was completely not. This, and so this gets like almost an honorary mention because it, like a lot of people just treated it as like a normal fictional film, but it says based on a true story. It's like, oh, well, like it, okay, it must be. But it turns out, no, not really. So the makers of this, the Coen brothers, that have said that there were two real elements in the film. They read about some story of a guy who was ripping off General Motors um, Corporation in, in the States, so were, that was one true thing, and that kind of informed the lead character William H. Macy played. And they also read about this really uh, quite grisly murder that happened in Connecticut, you know, decades before. That's about it. But they're, like, they're reading stories about a guy who ripped somebody <laughs> off and about a grisly murder. Now, I'm not trying to make light of those things, but those things happen quite a lot. And they did more than just say, based on a true story. They actually said, this is a true story, only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Oh, yeah, that's right. They went even further than that. So a lot of people have been puzzled for a long time about, hang on a minute, and even if you, particularly if you went searching on Google for, like, what? Like, when, when did all these Fargo incidents actually happen? Um, no, they didn't. They None didn't really. No. Four. 
I'm not much of a student of history because I tend to get my history from movies. And as this top five true stories that aren't entirely true will point out, not all movies about historical events uh, and figures may be entirely true. There are no Jedi. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, um, you know, hats off uh, to, uh, sorry, a, a special nod at this point goes to John Wayne starring as Genghis Khan in a movie in the 60s. I just find that amazing. They even thought they'd get away with that. <laughs> but at number four on this list is the film 300. The film 300, which was about a very famous battle from you know, ancient Greece, the Battle of Thermopylae. Thermopylae. Thermopylae, that's right. Now, uh, it's, it looks great on screen that only 300 dudes were going to battle against what looked like a bazillion other soldiers. Persians. But the Persians, but that's not actually true. So the Persian army wasn't anywhere near as big as what's depicted on screen. But also, at the last stand, there was more than 300 of these, um, of uh, what's his name, King Leonidas's fighters, the Greeks at the that Spartans. time, the Spartans, of course. The Sorry, Spartans. you don't know much about history, do you? <laughs> no, but I did find out. I did find out that the Spartans weren't nearly as cruel. Sorry, were crueler in real life than they're depicted. They're depicted as like these massive heroes and the underdogs. They were really quite cruel and savage. And also, there was these other blokes at the time, the Thespians. They sent this. Sorry, another nation, the Thespians, that sent all these blokes, an entire army, their entire army, to fight against the Persians. And they were a weaker country with weaker weapons and all that kind of thing. But they went to fight, not even getting a mention in the film Three Hundred. That is just that's just criminal. Not nice. Not true. Three. Captain Phillips, Mark, from the year, uh, like, 2014, 2015. Yeah, uh, this is a little grimmer, this story, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. Look, um, Captain Phillips, so this is a, a based on a true story that happened uh, within the last decade of, of a guy who um, it was a captain of a ship, an American ship, cargo ship, that got attacked by Somali pirates. And that ever since those events, particularly since the movie has come out, his, the story's been largely torn down, particularly the screen depiction of Captain Phillips. And I put it at number, on this list at number three because Captain Phillips is held up as a hero on screen, that he was the guy who, who saved the day. But there's a lot of information around about the fact that, well, should he even been in this place on the high seas where he was at the time? He had a lot of warnings. He could have been like a long way out of this, these waters. Um, different, the various pirate attacks happened against the boat. He still didn't turn the boat around and sort of protect his crew in that way. And there was another guy aboard the boat, Chief Engineer Mike Perry, who gets a really small part in the film, who those on board are claiming was more heroic and like stood up for the cr- the crew than the actual Captain Phillips did. So I put on the list at number three because I think sometimes heroes from real life can be built up so hugely on screen, but then when you learn a bit about them, turns out not much chop. Two. Okay, this is a little bit of a cheat because... Who's at, your next liar, liar, pants on fire? At number two, I'm going with Exodus, Gods and Kings, that Ridley Scott um, retelling of the, the biblical account of the uh, the Egyptian, the Exodus of the Israelites being rescued out of ancient Egypt. The reason it's a cheat is because Ridley Scott and those behind this film never claimed they were going to make a faithful adaptation of this uh, these biblical events. But why I'm putting it on the list is I don't think necessarily audience members like myself and many other people hear that before they go in to see a film and they often expect that it's going to be more faithful than it actually is. And in the case of Exodus, Gods and Kings, one of the biggest changes it made from the record of what happened is to largely remove God out of its God's own story and put Moses as the leader of it and basically Moses telling God what to do and all that sort of thing. It effectively removed God's purpose 
from that story. And so this, I put it at number two, basically because I think a lot of biblical movies, Noah included, and plenty of others, play so fast and loose with the truth that it can just be damaging for viewers, particularly if you don't know it's meant to be an unfaithful adaptation. Yeah, I'm really in agreement with you on this one because I think they actually go one step further and what they do is they say, oh, this is really the truth. This is a more reasonable idea of what must have happened. And they ignore the facts that we've got so that they can tell... A fabrication. One. Okay, Mark, prepare to have all of your um, dreams about movies shattered when I say that number one on my list is The Sound of Music. Oh, no, 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 no. What are you doing here? He's the biggest liar in cinema history. But you're you're like, toying with a man's heart here. I'm toying with so many people's hearts. And look, don't, don't, please don't mishear me. I'm not trying to revel in this. I was amazed as you are to discover that this, it is not just that you may have forgotten it's based on a true story of the Von Trapp family and Maria and, and all that kind of thing. But so many elements of this film did not happened, such as Maria didn't even tr- teach the Von Trapp kids to sing. That was, that, that was an earlier visiting priest who came like a couple of years before. The famous escape uh, towards the end of the film, I'm, I'm sure I'm not ruining it because most people have seen The Sound of Music, but they, they, they didn't escape crossing mountains. They got on a train and went out of the country. They went, they went like they packed their ba- bags easily and, and got aboard a train. There were 10 Von Trapp children, not seven. The, like the, the Liesl, three, three of them weren't very attractive. <laughs> Liesl, who's the eldest daughter on screen, well, she wasn't. There was a boy was the was the oldest. None of the kids fell in love with a Nazi. Like that, oh. that, that that never happened. Like I I just uh, the more if you Google online sound of music true untrue, go through the long list. You will be as disappointed as me to discover that sound of music is the biggest liar in cinema history. Hang on a second. High on a hill, was there a lonely goat herd? <laughs> I can neither confirm or deny, but just because I've dashed everybody's dreams now about Sound of Music by coming in at number one on this top five list of true movies that are basically untrue, I thought we should play a little bit of something awesome from Sound of Music just to cheer us up. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens, bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens, brown paper packages tied up with strings. These are a few of my favorite things. Cream-colored ponies and crisp apple strudels, doorbells and sleigh bells and schnitzel with noodles, wild geese that fly with a moon on their wings. These are a few of my favorite things. And again, I am reservedly apologised to anyone who, among their favourite things, is Sound of Music, and I've just totally trashed it. But what I said is true. Go and check it out. That Sound of Music, there is so much in it that is untrue. Oh, well. That's been the show for this week. That's true. What is truly coming up on our show next week, Mark? I can tell you this for sure. Animals tell us all about Jesus in the star. And Woody Allen returns to New York in Wonder Wheel. And Matt Damon tells us how good it is to get small in downsizing. All of that and more, to be sure and truthful, I will be Ben McKechnie. And I'll be Mark Hadley. See you then. The Big Picture is a Bible Society Australia production, sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world. Thanks for listening. Start your day with life words. Subscribe to Hope 1032's free daily email devotional at hope1032.com.au.